One of my favorite memories of my godmother was her reading Shel Silverstein poems to me and my sis at night when we would sleep over at her house. She read to us all the time and did the most amazing voices and characters. She made the stories come to life. Believe it or not, that isn't every kid's experience. Mine was rich with books. There were books all around. During my younger years, I hated reading them, but I loved looking at the pictures in Dr. Seuss, Shel Silverstein, and my dinosaur books. Today's guest also had books all over her house, and she read to her kids constantly. While working in her local community and visiting other people's homes, she noticed that many kids didn't even have one book in their house. So like any ruckus maker, she stepped up and solved the problem. Her red bookshelves can be seen all over upstate New York, and Paige has helped provide thousands of books to kids who needed them. There's something magical when a kid asks for a book and you say, go ahead, take it, it's yours. Even if that young person like me just flips through the pages, that's where the love of learning starts. And how my friend Paige addressed this challenge in her community is where our conversation begins. Hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after these messages from our show sponsors. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. Today's podcast is brought to you by TeachFX. It's basically like a Fitbit for teachers, helping them be mindful of teacher talk versus student talk. Get a special 20% discount for your school or district by visiting teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. I believe that school leaders are doing the best they can, but is it possible to be just a little bit better? According to Demetrius, a school leader in California, the best part of the mastermind is the hot seat. I learned so much from the challenges that we all shared during the hot seat because the feedback that our members give is so insightful and valuable. Lauren, a principal in Washington, D.C., remarked that the best part of the mastermind is access to tremendous thought partnering. If you would benefit from getting connected to other elite school leaders and would enjoy discussing education and leadership deeply each week, then we welcome your application to the mastermind. Apply today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. For over 25 years, Paige Kinnaird has been a leader in the education space, from advocating for early childhood education to supporting educators and school leaders' improvement in their own professional practices. Her greatest joy comes from contributing in a manner that adds value to the community, nurturing relationships, and fostering growth. Always making a ruckus. Well, welcome to the show, Paige. Purple cow Paige, I should say. <laughs> Thank you. It's great to be a purple cow, I will say. Yeah, we'll get into that a little later in the in the conversation for sure. I want to talk to you about a really interesting reading program and partnership that you started. And I think my notes say you started in 2001. And the program was called the Family Reading Partnership of Shemung Valley. And it got books in the hands of children. And, and not just a few books, hundreds of thousands of books were provided to families 
who didn't have those books. And can you take us back to that time and tell us a bit about why you started that program? Yeah, it's, you know, just like a lot of things that we do in our lives, it starts from a personal connection. So in the early 90s, I worked in a program where I would go into people's homes and provide developmental information. It was a birth to five program to provide some key developmental information to parents to help their child get ready for school. And at that time, I was also the mother of two small children myself. My children were born in the early 90s. And so I started to notice that we had books in every single room of our house. And so many of these homes that I went into, they had no books. And when I came to visit, I always brought books to read. And it was it was such an amazing novelty for so many kids. And then my husband got a new job and, and we moved to a different community, but I saw the same thing. I was working as a daycare center director, and then I started working for the Elmira City School District, which is a small city school district in New York State. And I just noticed that there were so many kids that were not having the advantage of books in their homes. So I heard of this program called First Book, run federally where you could buy high quality books for a dollar a piece. So I started to reach out and find some people in the community that were also passionate about providing books to kids. And I end up getting hooked up with three pediatrician doctors, Dr. Felix, Dr. Wall, and Dr. Moore. And those three gentlemen love to give me direction on what to do, but they were also looking for ways to provide books to kids that came to their pediatric practice. So we started a program called the Family Reading Partnership of Shemung Valley that was modeled after a program that had been started in Ithaca, New York by a woman named Bridget Hubberman. And we scheduled like our first meeting and like politicians came and the editor for the newspaper. And I was like, oh, Paige, I think you stepped into something that's going to be bigger than what you thought. And then a local author in Elmira, Ted Arnold, he is a children's author and illustrator, and he became part of our project. And what we started to do was to collect from the community gently used children's books. And we had um, bookshelves made by um, tech students at our local, um, in New York State, it's called BOCES, at our local BOCES center that we painted bright red. And we started putting these bookshelves at all these places in the community. And then I had volunteers that would put gently used books on the bookshelves. And then anybody could take those books. Um, we had them in the WIC Center and the County Health Department and Head Start and pre-K classrooms and the Pediatrician Center. And then we started every Wednesday in the Elmira community, there was a farmer's market. And we set up a tent at the farmer's market with tables. And then we had people that would come in and do guest readings. Uh, just kids would just gather around, you know, for like story time. And Ted Arnold was always there supporting and reading stories to kids. And what started is just passion of mine to get books into the hands of kids. Since we started the project in like 2002, around there, we've given out, they've given out hundreds of thousands of books from the program. And, um, and then it also morphed into what's called books at birth. So 
I had ladies who loved to sew from the local senior centers would sew these beautiful fabric bags. And we put a hardcover book, a brand new book in there. And every person that had, every mom that had a baby at the hospital got a book. We had a traveling bookshelf program that went into um, home daycares and rotated out books for kids. And, you know, in the Elmira community at that time, it was estimated that only 25% of the population read above a sixth grade level. And so for me, it was about getting books into the hands of kids, but also providing those books so that parents could read to their children and have that bonding experience when you read to your child, like I had with my kids when they were little. So, and now I'm in a different school district in a little bit different part of the state. And this year I've started a bright red bookshelf at my own school building, just using the books that were going to be discarded from the school library. And I've set up a couple bookshelves at the, at our middle high school and students can just walk by during their travels in the hallway and just grab free books. And it's just, it's just important, I think, to instill the love of reading in, in everyone and provide those opportunities for kids to have books. Love that story. And a couple of things I want to unpack for the, the ruckus maker listening. You know, first of all is when you lead doing stuff that matters to you, something you're passionate about, you know, and you were thinking of just the, the special times you shared with your children reading with them and what a gift that was and instilling that love of learning. Uh, And then as you were going into people's homes and seeing that they didn't have books and when you had one with you and there was a magical experience there, like, oh man, how do I help? And it's such a great story too, because then you decided to leap and it had a huge impact that you never imagined having, which I want to come back to that thread in in a little bit. But other stuff too, you know, which is a leadership lesson, meeting people where they're at, right? So in some ways, the the bright red shelves and, and the program you started is in, in some respects an ex- extension of just a library, right? But instead of having to go to the library, having a, to check it out, having a card and all this kind of stuff, where do people go? They're going to the pediatrician, right? Or they're going to the grocery store. And there's a bright red shelf, you know, what's it for? Just grab a book. And so you're meeting people exactly where they're at and making it easy. So you're removing obstacles and barriers, which is a great uh, leadership lesson. And the last point I want to uh, highlight for the Ruckus Maker too is how you use the resources within the community, right? So you're repurposing gently used books, but also um, I forget what you called them, but the uh, the ladies that were knitting and sewing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that they could create something of value for these new moms, right? And give them this gift bag. And I can only imagine how good that felt for them to be creating something for a new mom. And you're looking and just connecting people, helping them do something much bigger than themselves. And before you know it, you're having just this huge ripple effect. So let's let's go back to that because you said, oh boy, you know, I've stuck, Paige, I don't know what I've started, but it seems to be bigger than what I thought. And so just... Take us to that moment when you're, when you're realizing that. And as a leader, what are some of the things going through your head? Yeah, what's next then? You know, because it was just a little passion project. You probably thought a few people would benefit. And now hundreds of thousands of people in books have been shared. Yeah, and it, when we first started it, I contacted the, the teachers union in the district. And I was like, 
can you guys help? Like, is there a way that you could help sponsor a, like a book drive? We just need some books to really get this off the ground. And one of the, I remember getting a phone call from one of the ladies, one of the teachers who was in the union in a leadership role. And she's like, okay, Paige, we did a book drive. Um, my garage is filled with about 60 boxes of books. When can you come pick them up? And I was like, oh, snap, right? So then we, um, the hard part too was just finding a place to keep all those books, right? Like you think, oh, I worked in a school district, but we all know those of us that work in school districts, the ruckus makers, there's very little extra space, right? Like we, there wasn't like this big room to store all Paige's books and oh my God, we stored them. There were so many places in the community where we had to store those books. And, but it's, you know, the ripple effect, if I had, if I had started this program and thought, okay, my goal is to get hundreds of thousands of books into the hands of kids and we're going to have five programs and I need this many volunteers, it probably never would have happened. You know, it was just this small idea. Let's collect some books and give them out to kids. And it just kept growing and growing and growing. And what's really great for me too, is that, you know, I've been gone from the Elmira community now going on five years, but that program is just as strong now as it was then. And Danny, it was really funny about Oh, I don't know. It's probably six or seven years ago now. I was at a community event and this woman comes up to me. I was standing with my friend, Ellen Hicks. She calls herself my alpha mother because she likes to boss me around. And she and I were standing there together and this woman comes up to me and she starts explaining to me the bright red bookshelf and the family reading partnership of Shemung Valley. And I'm looking at her and I'm nodding and I'm nodding. And she goes, have you heard of this program? And I go, yeah, I started it. And she's like, Oh, Oh, it was, it was, it was pretty <laughs> funny, but it's, I think that sometimes too is you're right. We don't, we don't realize the ripple effects that it can have, you know, and just the, just the joy of a child taking a book off a bookshelf and looking at you and saying, I can keep this. And you're like, yeah, you don't have to bring it back. And they're like, Oh, my own book. You know, it's just, it's those, it's those small things that I think sometimes we forget to do in education that really impact families in a profound way. It's amazing. I just, I remember going when there was a book fair, right? When I was a kid, grade school, and they'd also give us like a little catalog, right? With the prices and you would, and I'd bring it, I would have like, 90% of that thing checked, like, mom, can I have all these? <laughs> of course, I couldn't get them all, but there's the, that is a special moment. And kids know how important books are. So I had to ask you about the continued impact, right? Because, you know, leaders build amazing things, but sometimes they fizzle out because it's built around that leader's personality. Yet you mentioned you've left the Elmira Committee now. Uh, it's been five years or so. And it's still going strong. So if we reflect right now on that, do you have any idea why it survived and thrived, even though you're not there? I guess one thing would be that the whole time that I was part of the organization from its inception until I left the community is that logistically it was structured with a great deal of flexibility, right? The the organization wasn't overly rigid in our processes and our procedures. It was, we do a book drive, we get 
3,000 books. We put out a call to volunteers. They show up. We label the books, sort them. So I just think we made it a welcoming environment, but without a lot of expectations. You could you could do with it what you wanted. But I think the the biggest part was that literacy in books transcends all other barriers that we have in our communities, right? It doesn't matter if you're from this side of the tracks or that side of the tracks or what school you go to or who your mom is or where your dad works. Literacy and reading is something that everyone enjoys or could enjoy and sees value in. And so I think that's one of the main differences for this project, because all the people that are part of it still realize, one, the importance of reading, and two, that it's just the simple things that can bring joy to a child. Can you tell us a little more about that flexibility piece you mentioned before the the literacy that transcends, which I think is an important point, right? It's something of value for all, all people. But you talked about how it's not so rigid and it's more flexible and how you, you built the program. Can you tell us a little more about that? When, when all of this started, the assistant superintendent in my school district um, was a gentleman named Don Cadell. And Mr. Cadell was just one of the biggest advocates for children I've ever met. And It was great that he allowed me in my job with the school district to bring the family reading partnership and make it part of what I did at my job. And in education, I've always felt that we have this tendency to have an idea for a program or an initiative that we want to bring to our schools and we go too big, too fast, right? So let's say I'm going to bring a math curriculum to my district. Well, we're going to do it K to five. Well, sometimes it's better to just start with K and see how it goes and work out the kinks and grow from there. And because that's my overall philosophy on those sorts of things, I did the same thing with the family reading partnership, right? Like I knew that the program in Ithaca, New York had like nine or 10 different facets of their program or different um, initiatives that they ran. And we decided to start with just one, which was the bright red bookshelf, you know, and then when we got that going, then we added the books at birth. And when that was going, okay, then we added the traveling books. So I think that that, that allowed us to work out kinks and it allowed us to just grow organically and it did help that the that the publisher for the local newspaper was really active and then he would write about us in the paper um, in his op-ed column. So that also helped spread the word and just bring in different individuals from the community that I didn't know or wouldn't have had the opportunity to reach out to. It just undulated and grew in that way that I think that's what helped its survival. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we landed at that point. You know, the importance of starting small before going too big, too fast. And another point I want to reiterate for the ruckus makers, you know, that Derek Sivers quote, what's ordinary to use, extraordinary to me. So to take something you were passionate about, literacy and reading with your kids and just trying to help one more family. And then it, it grew from there. You know, what our conversation right now, the podcast, it has uh, a very big impact started just out of a desire to help myself, right? 
And then I want, I was focused on helping, helping, that's a new word, helping listeners, you know, and then from there, the mastermind grew. So, you know, start small, start with that one person in your mind and who knows um, the kind of impact you might have. Well, let's pause here, Paige, uh, for a message from our sponsors. And when we get back, I'd love to talk to you a bit about your mastermind experience. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. Are you automatically tracking online student participation data during COVID? Innovative school leaders across the country have started tracking online student participation using TeachFX because it's one of the most powerful ways to improve student outcomes during COVID, especially for English learners and students of color. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All right, and we're back with Paige Kennard, and so thankful that you're here. You scheduled time to have this conversation with me, and it was fascinating to hear about that uh, read-in partnership in the book program that you started. And I'd love to ask you about your mastermind experience. And so each mastermind cohort has a special name. You're a purple cow, uh, and you've been a purple cow for years now, so thank you for your membership. Um, You've been an incredible voice and addition and bring so much value to our group. Uh, and I remember when you joined way back when, and you did something I hadn't seen a member ever do. And you you branded our agendas, which was cool. And we've kept it that way, right? Because we just keep copying the same agenda over and over. But then, you know, here here in, uh, I think it was Scotland, I've got a postcard from you all the way from New York and had purple cow stuff on it. And it was wonderful. It's actually right over there in my little desk organizer. But t- tell us about like why you, why you did that. Was that taught to you? Is that just something that you, you, you know, is unique to your personality? Uh, but that was a really nice touch. So that's a hard question, Danny. So when I first joined the mastermind, I was really looking for an opportunity to be with administrators who were as dedicated to their own professional growth as I am for mine. And we all know that sometimes, depending on the district you work with or who your colleagues are, that you don't always have those opportunities within your own school structure. And so I came to the first mastermind and I was so intimidated. I was like, oh, these people have all this knowledge I don't have. They have these experiences I don't have. And then the first couple meetings, I think I was like, I was pretty quiet, which some people would say is not my normal. But then it wasn't just like a couple weeks and all of a sudden I'm like, I have to be the facilitator of the mastermind. I'm like, oh my, I I felt more pressure than leading professional development in my district for like 300 people. I was like, so I decided that I wanted to, uh, to kind of set the tone for uh, my facilitation. And so I sent a personal note to everyone that was in the mastermind in the purple cows at that time. And yeah, it was just, for me, it's always when I'm, 
joining something or I'm leading something, I always try to come up with an idea or an avenue that is just different and will set a tone of collaboration and camaraderie. And yeah, it was really fun uh, when I was able to tweak the agenda and I was like, oh, I hope nobody minds it. I'm like adding all these things to it. But yeah, I really enjoy, I really enjoy the mastermind. It's, it allows you to be yourself in a very safe environment where all the members of the mastermind want nothing more than for all the other members to reach their full potential and to create that collegial atmosphere where you know that you have the support you need, even if as a ruckus maker, you're not getting that in other areas of your professional life. So go purple cows. Thank you. Um, Go purple cows. Moo moo. That's right. Conversation kind of went full circle there in some respects, because I think I try to build a mastermind in, in a flexible way to some extent. And that agenda and how you set the tone. And of course, I mean, that was on you to do the postcards, but how you made the agenda your own, um, that's something that we fully encourage. So I so appreciate that you did that. One more mastermind question. I'm, I'm curious, is there is there anything in terms of the value of it that you didn't necessarily expect? Uh, but after becoming a member, you realize, wow, this is pretty cool that that this happens here. Yeah, I guess I would say that one of the things that I didn't expect was to begin to see some of the members of the mastermind as friends who I've never met, like in person. And, you know, your use of um, the tool Voxer that allows us as mastermind members to, one, continue the conversations um, from each week, if we if something occurs to us, we can post it in Voxer and share more of what we were talking about. But it also allows us as mastermind members to connect to one another because of something that we've realized we have in common or uh, an initiative that we're working on. And we can take those conversations to that next level. Like I'm a, currently I'm a doctoral student um, at the University of Buffalo. And there's another member of our Purple Cow Mastermind who is also working on her doctorate. And so Renee and I connect on Voxer and support each other in that way. That is something that I wouldn't have had if the mastermind didn't allow us to build those connections and relationships with one another. I was expecting from the mastermind, you know, what I saw as high quality professional development, the conversations, the books we read and discuss, which I love the books that you choose for us because it, it takes us in a different direction than just the books that we normally read as administrators about education. But that, that connection piece at a deeper level with members of your, of your group, that, that was something I wasn't expecting, but I'm very thankful for that. Cool. I'm thankful you're getting that value. Let me uh, pivot us to the last questions I asked all my wonderful guests, and you made it this far. So, Paige, what message would you put on all school marquees across the globe if you could do so for just a day? Man, I knew you asked this question. Like, oh, I should just, okay. <laughs> what I would put on there is just be kind. We just, man, 
we just need to be kind to one another. And it's, it's not something I ever thought we'd have to be teaching in school and reminding people, but um, it's more than the students. It's our communities as well. Just be kind to one another. And Paige, you're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitations, your imagination. How would you build your dream school and what would be your top three priorities? So my top three priorities, and I know when I uh, when I listen to your podcast, a lot of guests talk about the space, but I'm not a spatial person, so you're not going to get that from me. My top three priorities would be, wow, I would like to see schools built with master schedules that are built around the students who need supports the most first and then all the other students after. We have a tendency in schools to like base our schedules around, you know, the advanced courses. And I really think that we should, we should look at our, how we build our days to better meet the needs of kids as opposed to meeting the needs of the adults. The second thing I would do would really focus on my school's hiring practices and making sure that the people that come to work at that school, whether you're the attendance clerk in the main office, a bus driver, a custodian, any food services worker, that you have a passion to be there and you are doing it because you are able to connect with kids. And each of those people that I would hire for my school would all be assigned students that they would help to mentor. We put a lot of social emotional learning um, demands on teachers, but I think every member of the staff of a school should have the opportunity to work with kids and grow with kids in a very um, community-based way. And the third thing that I would make sure that we do is to provide opportunities for students to explore their passions and what they love in a way that does not detract from what we are required to do as educators. I love the, um, I used to do this with some of my classes. It's the, uh, the genius hour where you spend 80% of the class time doing what you're required and 20% allowing the students to explore what they love. Um, those were some pretty interesting uh, presentations in my classroom when I was a teacher. So, yeah, I think it all comes down to, you know, we talk a lot about what schools are, but when you boil it down to the basics, schools are all about relationships. And so how can you build a school that from the very moment you walk through the door, every person is working and building relationships that are going to help all students be successful? Paige, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast of everything we talked about today. What's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? I want a ruckus maker to remember that not everyone's going to like the ruckus you make, but you just got to keep making it. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, 
leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed. <laughs>